0: Welcome to thinking like a lawyer with your hosts ellie mistal and joe patrice talking about
1: legal news and pop culture all while thinking like a lawyer
0: here on legal talk network
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me is my colleague, Catherine Rubino. How are you? Not great. Yeah, that's fair. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it's like
0: every time you think that 2020, we've reached the low of 2020, uh, beloved Supreme Court Justice dies.
1: Yeah, Um, so yes, so obviously, given the news from last week that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died, we decided to spend some time in this show just talking about that and uh, all the issues that that brings up. So, okay. So, Catherine, you have a show. I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, in addition to this one, yeah. obviously, this one yeah. is obviously your most important show. Um, <laughs> and I think we all well, I agree. certainly
0: the most important co-host I have.
1: Oh I
0: host the other one by myself.
1: Oh. Huh. Oh, no, see, now that seems a lot less nice now that you put it that <laughs> way. Uh, but yes, you have a show called The Jabot, um, I which deals with diversity in law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, its title is inspired.
0: Sure. Yes, uh, it's very much inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, when we we decided at Above the Law that we wanted to have a, a podcast about diversity issues, and we kind of opened it up to the editorial staff, and we had a bunch of different options for what we were going to call it and what we, what we should name it. And, you know, nothing kind of seemed right. You want something that's catchy, something that, you know, is memorable, something that, um, there isn't already some, a show called, yeah, <laughs> right? right. You, want, you want to be original, but you also want it to be evocative. And I, I think actually, uh, our co-editor, Stacy Zaretsky actually came up. Uh, she was the first one that suggested the jabot. Um, and for those of you who maybe don't know, uh, the jabot is the lace collar that, um, well, anybody could wear over or any judge could right. wear over their robes. Uh, but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg became very famous for wearing a variety of different collars with her robes. And our logo was actually based specifically. um, She had a a particular chapeau that she wore when she read dissents from the bench. And I think that particularly um, in the second half of her career on the bench, she became known even more for her dissents than even her decisions. And they were always uh, powerful, always pointed. Um, And I think that having... Having a costume that would that signified more than just um a look, but it signified something important. And I thought that it was it was a good name, not just because it's very evocative of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but also because I think when you're dealing with with these sort of big social issues,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's important to recognize it's not gonna, it's not gonna be easy, right? You're gonna lose. <laughs> and um I think that not just signifying the career of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but specifically signifying uh, what she did when she lost. And the, the not just dignity, um, but the strength that was in there. And I think that it was powerful. And I think that a lot of people responded to that. And so I thought it was a, it was once yeah. when Stacy suggested, she's like, what about the jubilee? I was like, done. Yeah. I didn't want to hear. <laughs> just- I think you were in the room at the time. I think it was like a full editorial meeting. And once it was said, I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done. I know exactly what it should look like, uh, you know, and 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 that's to this day, you know, is is what the podcast and we talk about a whole bunch of different diversity issues. Um, you know, obviously, RBG is more known for women's issues specifically, but I think that it's really representative of wanting to go in a really progressive direction. Right. We were not that we're not there. And that's yeah. why it's the descent collar. We're not there yet. But it's a progress. Yeah. And it's a journey.
1: No, absolutely. So, this is obviously. Um, I think the headline that we put up when uh, this news was first breaking was that it's unfortunate that you know she deserves better than to have kicked off a constitutional crisis. Yeah. But here we are. Um, mm-hmm. So, not to belabor this, uh, but before we get into discussing uh, her life with some and her work with some folks, um, mm-hmm. we're in. You know, we have some some crisisy issues here. We sure um, do. We sure do. So, one of the, without getting too deep into it, what you've been very active this week writing previews of the potential mm-hmm. nominees that could be coming up. Yeah. Uh, so, walk us through, real quick, who's on the horizon here?
0: Well, sort of the favorite, um, if, if, if you're putting money down in Vegas, or, or I guess Ireland does a lot of these a lot of these bets. Um,
1: right. I mean, yeah. They, the, the, even Vegas has not reached the point of letting you <laughs> bet on this. But but, but overseas but, but Ireland books sure does. are very, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So the best money is uh, Amy Coney Barrett. She is a current appellate judge on the Seventh Circuit. She was former and she still teaches at uh, Notre Dame Law School. It's where she got her J.D., Um, That is your best bet. She's known for a bunch of um, very conservative beliefs, but most notably, she is very um, anti-choice. She has said that life begins at conception. And... Her name was specifically thrown out in April um, when someone was talking about when they were still hypothetical um, Supreme Court vacancies and about because Amy Coney Barrett's name also came up in the seat that became um, Justice Kavanaugh's. And Trump has said in in April, the quote was that uh, he was saving her, meaning Coney Barrett, for Ginsburg. Um, I think that there is a sense in conservative circles that they would like a woman to be the one who writes the decision that will eventually overturn Roe. And um, I think as I put it in my in my preview of her, her jurisprudence, that there is a wrong-minded and uh, biologically deterministic view yeah, right. that if a woman writes it, it can't possibly be attacked as sexist. But right. nothing can be further from right. the truth.
1: <laughs> yes, and you, you've raised... So just to, on this... One issue that has come mm-hmm. up about this, it, that at least in the news, is some people saying that this might be um, that, that the critics of her exhibit some sort of anti-Catholic bias because she is Catholic. Because you know that's what our Supreme Court is Catholic, Catholic people and Jewish. and Jewish people. Yeah, it is.
0: It is, um, it is astonishing. And listen, I'm I'm Catholic. My aunt is a nun. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> that,
1: that's pretty good credentials.
0: Yeah. Um. You know, I, I very much grew up in the faith. Um. But. Uh, I I think that it is beyond just sort of the outsized role that Catholics would have on an entire branch of government, although obviously that is true. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's not it's not really about that. Right. The nominee for president is Joe Biden, Catholic. Um, (laughs) My personal I mean, all respect to RBG, obviously, but Sonia Sotomayor is also an amazing, brilliant jurist. Catholic. No one said in in the previews of Sotomayor taking over. No one said, "Oh, but she's Catholic." Uh oh, you know, um, or at least from the from the progressive side, that was not concern.
1: If I jump in, so uh, one thing that Barrett uh, has written, and the Tony Barrett's written in the past that you've focused on is mm-hmm. that uh, she believes, actually, on a religious level, that. Judges should recuse themselves from death penalty cases right. because if they're Catholic.
0: Right. Uh, it was a, a piece that she co-wrote when she was in law school. Um, mm-hmm. But to my knowledge, she hasn't sort of backed away from any of the things that she said in there. Um, and she said that because of the church's teachings on the death penalty, that it is immoral and, and should we shouldn't do it. Um, that Catholic judges should not uh, should recuse themselves from death penalty cases. Of course, this is the maybe question mark um unintended consequence of meaning that that's only more likely to increase the amount of death penalty right because it means that anybody who feels that way because of religious reasons are no longer in the pool of right. potential judges which means that only people who are either pro death penalty or at least ambiguous to it are the left hearing the cases right so seems question it seems very very questionable but the parallel that i drew in in my piece and and i don't hear enough talking people talking about it is that she makes this claim that there should be recusals in death penalty cases because of the teachings of the Catholic Church. She does not, however, make a similar claim that Catholic judges should recuse themselves in cases about abortion despite the Catholic Church's teachings on abortion. Yeah,
1: those seem be two doctrines that would go hand-in-hand hand here. Yes, yeah. and
0: I, and it, I think that— I mean, that, if you were being consistent. Well, yes, and I think that is fundamentally the problem. I think that it is much more tailored to advancing the current uh, policy goals of conservatives as opposed to being either consistent or somehow in line with, with Catholic, Catholic dogma. Catholic dogma, yeah.
1: So uh, I think this is a good time to take a moment to do an ad read. Worried about a contract deadline? Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and full-featured Microsoft Word add-in for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. So the other judge who's in this discussion, uh, Barbara Goa. you also did a quick preview of some yes. of her work and writings and mm-hmm. just f- helped to figure out what's going on there. What, what's the yep. story there?
0: She's um, a Cuban-American, the daughter of Cuban immigrants, When she worked in big law at greenberg Traurig, she worked pro bono on the Elian Gonzalez case. Still, you know, all these years later, she considers one of her most influential cases that she had. She was in, I think, 2006, appointed to the Florida State Appellate Court by Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. In January of 2019, she was elevated to the Florida State Supreme Court by Governor DeSantis. Um, And then- only a few months later in november she was nominated by president trump to the 11th circuit and in december she was confirmed so that means that she's been a federal judge for less than a year okay and her and her name is it's probably the second most popular name being bandied about and there's a bit of a internal debate from what we can tell going on in conservative circles about which of these two candidates should get the nod but one of the one of the things that i thought was very interesting was that despite her lack of time on the 11th Circuit, there are still decisions that are are very concerning. She was uh, involved she she was one of the the folks on the on top of the 11th Circuit decision that upheld the Florida rule that said that um, if, you, if you'll recall, I think it was 2018, Florida by ballot measure passed um, an amendment to their constitution reenfranchising um, the voting rights of former felons. Mm-hmm. Then in response to this overwhelmingly popular ballot measure, the Republicans in charge passed um, a law saying that in order to actually be able to cast your ballot, you needed to pay off some court fees. And it was questionable and, and unclear how much each of these fees were or where those numbers were derived from. But it was challenged as a poll tax because you literally have to pay money in order to exercise your right to vote. And it was overturned by the 11th Circuit, and and Barbara Legault was on top of that decision saying that, the of course, the Florida legislature can pass whatever rules they want. And she more than just voted to support this law, which, you know, people have said can very easily be the difference between Trump winning Florida or not. But she also wrote a concurrence where she seemed to... Say that poll taxes in general were okay as long as there was another avenue for folks to get uh, be reenfranchised, have their voting rights reenfranchised, regardless of whether or not how likely it was for them to be successful under those alternate mechanisms. Um, she said that because the Florida governor could theoretically absolve or uh, pardon these pardon people. pardon these people, which would have the effect of reenfranchising them. Even though the pardon process is broken, even though it's mostly white and rich people who are able to avail themselves of that process, um, that was irrelevant to her. She thought it was fine. And um, as Mark Joseph Stern said in Slate, it read much more like an audition for the role she's currently being considered for uh, than a concurrence.
1: I mean, it, it the idea of a poll tax being acceptable if there's some other way around it, uh, it it really does make you think back to. Jim Crow uh, South, and say, well, that's I mean, you could absolutely can have a poll tax if you could come up with the money, then you wouldn't have to deal with it, <laughs> and it, it. wouldn't yeah. be a problem. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it really, really pretty uh, egregious. But I mean, these are uh, these are your nominees. If you need to know more, Catherine's got a couple of posts up that uh, that trace these folks. She's trying to keep an mm-hmm. eye on everybody that's being discussed. Obviously. By the time this comes out, we may actually have a nominee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. administration seems to be moving much faster than you would imagine.
0: Uh, well, they have a deadline, right?
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> they 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 do have something of a of a deadline.
0: Hopefully, uh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't get too yeah. ahead of myself.
1: Yeah. So now we're going to have uh, some conversations about uh, what
0: Ruth Bader, Ruth Bader-, 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 Bader- legacy legacy, legacy and, and, and,
1: and what it's like to work with her. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think we're going to chat now with uh, Neil Katyal, who is the former Acting Solicitor General and partner at Hogan Levels. So we're joined by former Acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal. Well, I think it's fair to say a pretty frequent Supreme Court advocate. So uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's awesome to be with you.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's good. We've, uh, this is our first time where we've talked on a show before, but uh, we, we've talked back channel a lot. So it's good to actually see you in person and, uh, and chat. Yeah. So I guess my first question uh, about this is, you know, the Solicitor General's office is about as close to the justices as you can get as an advocate. Uh, You're writing and speaking before them all the time. So what was it like, both in that job and in your private practice, what was it like to advocate before Justice Ginsburg?
2: Well, um, you know, it's not just the advocacy. You know, I have already had the privilege of arguing before forty-one times, but um, <laughs> also um, I taught at Georgetown for twenty years, and Marty had the office next to mine for. A oh, long really? Time. So I adored him, um, and of course her, and um, so there was a. It's like it's a loss for the court that I'm going through right now, but it's also just um, a really sad personal loss because um, um, they were both extraordinary people as an advocate i guess i would always be sitting there in my prep sessions and i do a bazillion moots before every case and i'd always be trying to figure out what she's going to ask me because she'd always be the first almost always the first question of any oral argument she'd ask so she'd be first out of the gate it'd be the pointed kind of hard question that you like kind of don't want but you kind of <laughs> also want and so um so I'd always spend a, like a way outsized amount of time prepping for the, what I call the Justice Ginsburg question and, to my head. And, uh, you know, she was tough. I mean, this was like not, you know, she, she, she had a big heart and so on. But man, when you were up there and even if she agreed with you, she'd still give it to you. So um, she was really extraordinary. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, it was always really fun to argue before her. Yeah. I'd say the other thing about it is that she appreciated what the advocate's craft was. I mean, she herself, of course, argued six cases and um, won five of them. And I think she always had some sympathy for kind of what an advocate was going through. Um, And, uh, you know, I've seen that particularly when it comes to first time advocacy. Um, I tend to, I love those cases when I can bring someone up and second seat them. And, she would almost always give that first time advocate a special smile when she walked into the courtroom. So, you know, very profoundly human person.
1: Yeah. And in addition to advocacy and having that office, uh, you also clerked, uh, albeit in different chambers, but you know, that relationship, everybody's kind of pulling the same direction. What was it like as a clerk being around her?
2: Well, of course, back then in the 1996 term, she was not the notorious RBG. <laughs> <Fair laughs> she had just gotten on the court, and um, uh, I actually was there at her uh, when she, her appointment was announced. I was a White House intern, and that summer of 1993. So she'd only been on the court for three years at that point. She was very meticulous. She worked her clerks crazy hard i mean i think all the justices do but she was legendary for it she'd leave chambers at like i think it feels like three or four in the morning and all the clerks had to stay and um uh you know so like she's never mailed it in every day was just like super hard work and um you know even through tragedy i remember when marty died um i was running the solicitor general's office then and you know the next day we went to court for hand downs and there she was, uh, handing down one of her opinions. Um, she didn't miss a day of court until 2018. Um, not one. I
1: mean, and, and that was, I mean, and a lot of it was that legendary, uh, workout routine that we all heard so much about to keep her in shape. So I guess and you kind of got to this already when you were talking about when you bring up a new advocate. Uh, I was going to say if there's a favorite memory of just like looking up and seeing her and going like, oh, she she gets me now. But it, maybe it was that special smile. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I never really felt like she got me. But oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but sometimes she'd get me in court. Um, I did have the privilege of arguing the first Voting Rights Act case, the big one, uh, Northwest Austin. In two thousand nine, that upheld the constitutionality of Section five, and I remember I was really hoping that Justice Thomas um, was gonna was gonna vote for us, and I remember pitching a lot of the argument and looking right at him for some of it, and I could see her like kind of like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, so, and uh, you know, lo and behold, she was right. We won it eight to one. He was the dissent, but I still tried. <laughs>
1: That's great. Like, I don't think people, you know, one of the aspects of it not being televised, you know, is I don't think a lot of people get how much body language interaction you all get to have uh, in those sorts of things, where you can see somebody say, what are you doing uh, with their face? That's <laughs> yeah, crazy. you know,
2: the Supreme Court is so different than almost every other court in the country, because the bench is really close to the advocate. It's about 10 feet between the lectern and the chief justice. And then All the other justices are spread out on either side of uh, the chief justice, but it's really intimate and Mm. it changes the dynamics a lot because like in other courts, like the ceremonial court and the DC circuit, you're really far back and you almost like feel like an orator there, but at the Supreme court, it's much more like you're around a dinner table. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. um, And it's just a shame to me that, every American can't see it. Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about the process and how I think it's so inspiring for everyone to see that kind of reasoned deliberation.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to kind of conclude this. Um, it's a terribly sad day for all of us. Um, and, you know, uh, hopefully maybe in someday in the future, we will be able to see these things on TV uh, and uh, people can kind of look back and appreciate what uh what it must have been like when she was there that they didn't get to see you know well thank you so much and uh we will move on to a quick break here how have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side LexisNexis interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. And so that's our show. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, If you are not subscribed to the show, you should be. That way you'll get new episodes when they come out. You should be giving it reviews and stars. Uh, That helps a long way for having more people know that it's out there and Listening to it. You should be reading Above the Law as always. You should follow us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. You should be listening to the Jabot, the show that Catherine also hosts that she was describing earlier, as well as you should listen to our ATL COVID cast where we talk about unexpected ways in which COVID is impacting the law. And thank you, as always, to Contract Tools by Paper Software. Check out Contract Tools uh, for a seven-day free trial. And with that, we will uh, talk to you all next week. If you'd like more information about what you have heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook.